for the warm introduction. I think we actually came one week early. If we came one week later, we would have had the opportunity of listening to Kevin Murray, whom I'm sure you'll all be able to enjoy hearing him explain the Word of God to you. Well, um, if you can have your Bibles open at 1 Samuel chapter 25, we'll be looking at that story today um, from the Word of God. And it's, it's something that I hope, um, it's a story I hope that you'll actually understand the application, to, uh, application from very clearly. But just to get us started, um, one of the things as being a parent that I've been able to learn is that as you watch your children, they have a real keen sense of what's fair and what's right and what's unfair and what's not right. So you see someone, in, you see some kids playing in the playground. One person hits one, um, thumps or punches one child, and then the other one goes, "Well, that's not fair, so I'm going to punch you back." And so you see a kick for a kick, an insult for an insult, a punch for a punch, and a melee breaks out. But it's not just kids. You see those, you see kids doing it, and then you think about us adults. Have we taken that same behaviour into our adult worlds? Um, for instance. Uh, if I'm in a business and in Nepal we, we have a business, you know, you cheat me, there's a temptation to cheat somebody else back. You do something to me and I'll do it back. You hurt me at home, so I'm going to hurt you too. So as mature Christians, people who are or even not even as a Christian, a lot of people go, well, that's, that's not quite right. You know, punch for a punch, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that's not quite right. But when you're in the heat of the moment... When you're in that moment, when you feel so wronged or things just seem so unfair, it can be very hard for you to think clearly through those situations. You throw reason to the wind um, just for the sake of getting even. And that's basically what we're going to be reading about. Well, that's what we've already read about in today's scripture story. About David wanting to settle the score with this businessman called Nabal, and he wants to get even. Kindness is repaid with evil, and David's so hurt and angry that he doesn't care what he does except to get even. So just a little bit of context here. Um, This is 1 Samuel. I've heard that you're actually preaching through 2 Samuel, and it was a few years ago that you uh, went through 1 Samuel, so you may have forgotten it. But just a little bit of context. David has already been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but there is still a king in place, and that king is Saul. And that King Saul is roaming all around the countryside looking for David in order to kill him because he's a threat to uh, to King Saul's throne. So David's been hiding and he's trying to keep a low profile. And you can imagine when you're hiding and trying to keep a low profile to go out of your way to help somebody else and then not get anything back in return can be quite a kick in the face, a kick in the guts. So that's what happened. So anyway, chapter 25, we've just read that, that, that Samuel died. Samuel was the one who anointed um, first Saul king, and then he's now anointed David to be the next king. So Samuel's died, and David's uh, running around, and he comes across this, this basically this millionaire. He's got a 1,000 geeps, 1,000 goats, 3,000 sheep. And we read in verse 3 that he's, he's mean and surly in his business dealings. He doesn't really care what damage he causes so long as he gets what he wants in the end. The ends justify the means. And when, you do, when you're in business, you get to meet some very clever people. Perhaps you're one of these very clever people. Um, you make agreements with contractors to get work done, and then, well, 
you know, the work gets done and you don't actually pay the bill. Oh, you come up, keep coming up with different excuses. And it's kind of almost like that with here. You know, you can maybe, maybe that's what's happened here. But um, we hear that at, at, in verse 4, that when David knows that it's shearing time, he goes and sends a delegation to him, to Nabal. Um, in Nepal, we've learned that at harvest time, which is a similar type of thing to shearing time, at, at harvest time, it's a time for generosity. It's a time to share the things that you have reaped. And so in Nepal, if you have a business and you have workers, at that time, you are expected to pay an extra month's salary. It's not written into the contract. It's an expectation that you have. And so here, I think it's actually something quite similar for David. It's shearing time. He's expecting some kindness in return for the kindness that he has, he has given to Nabal um, in order to, um, as one of the expectations of that culture. But um, the people that David sends, they're not armed thugs. They're not people you know, who are threatening. It's just courteous, warm greetings. Um, and they're not forcing their way. They wait, they greet Nabal, and they wait for a response. For David, he shouldn't need to send any important delegates. He can just send young men. That's fine because this is an expectation, nothing, nothing complex. David's not looking for a fight. But what happens next is Nabal look, picks a fight with David. Uh, he, in, Nabal, in his arrogance, maybe he thinks, hey, I'm a really good businessman. I know how to make the most of this situation. There's no written contracts with David to say that I'm going to give him something for all this extra effort he's given to me in protecting my sheep, um, protecting my uh, workers. And he goes, oh, he smells profit maybe without, having to, um, without it costing him anything. He goes, oh, free security, this is great. And maybe David's a bit of an idiot, so, you know, he should have done the paperwork beforehand. Uh, or maybe perhaps Nabal's even thinking, hey, this could improve my reputation. You know, David, that strong warrior, well, I can actually outsmart, outwit David. And so Nabal, in his arrogance, he bl- it blinds him to what he's actually doing, to the danger that he puts himself in. Uh, he's, he insults David, a well-known warrior who's known to kill his thousands, slaying his, or tens of thousands, actually. Saul was known for slaying his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. But here Nabal stands up to him and picks a fight with a great warrior. A very foolish thing to do. Something that arrogance can do to you. It blinds you to the dangers of your actions. So after Nabal refuses to follow the custom of showing kindness for kindness at, at harvest time, David's men return to David and they tell David what's happened, what happened to him. That Nabal wouldn't even give us a crust of bread or a cup of water. Nothing at all. Now if you can imagine yourself in this situation, you've just, you've risked your life, you've gone out of your way to help someone and you just get spit in your face. You can imagine the emotions that David would be feeling. He explodes in anger. He's hurt. And there's only one thing on his mind, and that's vengeance. He orders 400 of his uh, 600 warriors to strap on their swords and get ready for battle. And this time, he's not just sending them. He's going in himself. This one's personal. So Nabal picks a fight, and David says, I'm in. I'm going to go in for the kill. Um, And this all comes out of a sense of what's fair. It's not fair that I've helped you and you've repaid this, um, this kindness with an insult. So then in, um, in chapter 25, after we hear about David's men going back and reporting, we get to hear about the servants, Nabal's servant, um, in verses 14 to 17. 
The servant must have overheard. It's amazing how much servants know. They seem to know a lot of what's going on in households. Never underestimate what a servant knows or what a worker in your business knows. And they go to Abigail, or he goes to Abigail and affirms to Abigail that what David's men said was actually true, that David's men were good, they did treat them well, um, that nothing went missing while, they were with, um, while David's men were looking after them, and that David's men protected them day and night. It's going well beyond the call of you know, kindness. And so the servant, out of concern for his own safety, out of concern for you know, self-preservation, they go, the servant risks, risks it all and goes to Abigail. Now, I, I don't know, in Australia, this isn't a big move. But in, the, in Nepal, this would be a big move because the servant has a lot to lose from this as well. If the servant goes to Abigail, Abigail then goes to Nabal, and Nabal says, how did you find this information out? Who told you? And Abigail says, well, uh, a servant told me. Then Abigail can be seen as working on behalf of the servant, being told what to do by a servant. And then um, it can hurt both Abigail and the servant. But the servant does this because Nabal is unapproachable. Now, in Nepal, there's a high power distance. Australia is a low low power distance culture, which means we're all on on a basic on a level playing field. Even if you have a boss, you can still come and approach them. But in a high power distance culture, the low people do not talk to the high people. Even if they're respected and good, you still don't do that. You have a chain of command that you have to work through. But um, here we hear that Nabal is unapproachable. And I think part of that isn't just about a high power distance thing, but is, is about to do with pride and arrogance. Why would someone in a high position listen to someone who's as low as a servant? Because it's, you know, just, what do you know? You're just a servant. And uh, one of the things that I can see happening in Nepal sometimes, and even in my own life, there's been times where I've gone, well, <laughs> you know, that servant or that, sorry, not servant, that low person, that low person I look down on, yes, it's a good idea, but it's not my idea. It's coming from someone low. Therefore, I'm going to ignore it. I don't know if any of you have had thoughts like that, but that's a sinful, arrogant thought. And Nabal, we've already heard that he's an arrogant man, I think that's kind of what's going through his mind. That's also why he's kind of unapproachable. And for many of us, you've got to be careful of that, looking down on people and looking down on their ideas just because of their low position and because of your pride. But anyway, the servant here, he takes the risk and approaches Abigail, not for profit like an like a Nabal, but for survival. And then we, we get to meet Abigail, someone who is a hero in this story. Unlike Nabal, she's approachable. She listens to a servant, and she doesn't just listen to the servant, but she takes his advice. She actually goes straight away. To, um, she doesn't go to Nabal. She jumps straight into action, but she can't tell Nabal. There's, while Nabal wouldn't give a crust of bread or any water, she does the exact opposite. She goes over the top. In verse 18, there's 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep, 27 27 kilograms of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs. Wow, that's a much much, uh, more suitable gift. And I think she's actually gone over the top because of the insult that uh, Nabal has already provided. He's stingy and she's generous. She would make a terrible business person because she would just give away all the profits, but she's doing what is necessary um, for the sake of her family. 
her, her motivation there as well. It, there's no, no pride in it, like the potential for Nabal who was trying to get something free. Um, but uh, her motivation is a survival, to make peace, to make peace. What she does next, I find absolutely incredible, though. She goes unarmed to an angry mob of 400 guys who have their soldiers strapped on, bent on vengeance. The only thing she has with her is a lot of food. This peacemaker goes to an angry mob with her wisdom and with the food that she's prepared. And for me, that sounds like a recipe for annihilation. I can't imagine standing up to that many angry people and um, trying to, to make peace. But in verse 23, she meets them. She gets off the donkey. She bows down with her face to the ground. She falls at his feet and addresses David respectively. Lord, I, your servant. Then she asks for pardon, even though, hang on, she hasn't actually done anything that's wrong. So she actually takes the blame of her husband and says, ignore Nabal. He's a wicked man. He says foolish things with... Uh, um, it, Nabal says foolish things, but she doesn't actually pile lots of insults on top, uh, um, pile lots of insults on top of him, or lots of evil on top of him. She could have. She had every right to say lots of things. She just said he's, he's like his name. Folly follows him. And in verse 26, she then cleverly appeals to David by suggesting, by saying that the Lord has prevented you. The Lord has prevented you from bloodshed and avenging yourself. Now, when I read that, I think, oh, that sounds a little bit presumptuous. How do you know that? The Lord has actually prevented you. I mean, David may still go through with what, is, what he was thinking. But in verse 27, she then goes and says, um, she asks David to accept her gift instead of killing them all. And that's where she pleads with him. Now, at the end of verse 27, I kind of go, well, okay, uh, what's going to happen? David, are you going to go, oh, yeah, all right, I accept your gift, all's well. Uh, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. But David doesn't actually respond there's no response quite yet at verse 27 after, you know, appealing to him to not kill them all. And I'm kind of like, come on, David, say something. But anyway, she has to keep on going. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's offense. And in the ESV, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. Please forgive the trespass of, um, of your servant. Um, and she reminds David that the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. Because you fight the Lord's battles. It's like she's gently saying to David, David, wake up. Um, is this really the battle that you're supposed to be fighting? Is this the Lord's battle? Or is this your own battle that you're trying to do because you, out of a sense of what you think is right and fair? Are you fighting because God has sent you to fight this battle? Or are you fighting because your pride is hurt? I think David has a right to feel hurt, every right to feel hurt. But is this a battle that the Lord would have him fight? Then in verse 28, she also said, um, no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. No wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Well, that would be nice. Um, it's a gentle way of basically her saying to him, this is wrong, what you're doing. Don't stay in your record with this battle. This is not your battle to fight. Um, and don't fight a battle that you're going to regret later in life. Uh, it's essentially appealing to that same passage in Ephesians 4, verse 26, which says, In your anger, do not sin. 
David, you are responding out of anger. Don't jump in and fight this battle. Don't let your emotions pick your fights. Because how nice will it be, in verse 30, that you can look back on all the God's promises um, and not have any regrets from it, not have the needless uh, or the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. The staggering burden of needless bloodshed. You don't want that on your conscience just from avenging yourself. And so here in the heat of the moment, Abigail is the peacemaker who goes unarmed and speaks wise words to an angry mob. David, don't use your sword to take revenge when you feel hurt, but use your sword for the Lord's battles. That's what the sword is there for. God's, gone, God's already given you a promise. You're going to be king. You've been anointed king. Don't mess it up with things that you're later going to regret. And if you think about it, later on when David wants to build a temple for the Lord, God says to him, no, because of the bloodshed, which isn't from this situation, from this particular story, but from other stories. So uh, what I find interesting here is Abigail paints an incredible picture for us of another peacemaker, Jesus, the one who, 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 who um, what he did to save a people for himself. Like Abigail, um, like Abigail was destined for destruction with her entire family because of a sinful action, not of actually hers though in this situation, but because of her husband's. So we as humans are also destined for destruction because of our own sinfulness. And like Abigail goes unarmed to rescue um, her family from uh, these angry men, so Jesus goes unarmed into a hostile world that doesn't want to give up their sin. And he makes peace for us by bearing the burden of that sin on that cross, taking away the punishment that wasn't actually his. He takes our burden of sin takes that punishment, and to make peace. Then we also have David here. Back to the story. We have David. And I find David remarkable. Many times when you read stories about um, people in the Bible, you, uh, you go, oh, these must be examples, you know, great example. But David here has so far not been an example for us to follow, just rushing in with a sword drawn when he gets, um, when he, when his, when he gets insulted. And what I, find, what I find remarkable about David is if you ch- turn to the previous chapter, chapter 24, look at the heading. There it says, David spares Saul's life. Saul is the person who's out hunting David like a dog, trying to kill him because he's a threat to, king, uh, to Saul's kingdom. So he, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he lets that pass by because Saul is God's anointed king for Israel. Then if you go forward a chapter to chapter 27... Look at the title there. Oh, sorry, chapter 26. <laughs> David spares Saul again. Again, David has another opportunity to kill Saul, the person who's out to kill him. And both times, he says, no, I will not kill God's anointed one. David has the right to become king. He's been anointed king. Saul is in his way. Saul is trying to kill David, and David refuses to kill Saul even when the opportunity is given to him. And his men say, this is God's opportunity for you to kill, um, to kill Saul. So that's on either side of this chapter. And now right in the middle here, we have a much smaller player. We have Nabal, inconsequential to David's king, to, for him to be king, who does a, a thing like insult him, and David is ready to strap on his sword and go and kill Nabal, and not just Nabal, his entire household. It doesn't quite sound like the same David, does it? It sounds like two different Davids. One, we see the patience of David, um, 
And now there's no patience. Instead of just killing one person who isn't even looking to kill it, to, you know, is looking to take David's life, he goes and wants to kill his entire family. And so it's no longer about, it's not, it's not just the, the, it's the playground where it's a punch for a punch. It's escalating. It's going up a level. And this is what happens when you get really angry. You, you, you ratchet it up a level. You, you put it up a level. When you're hurt, anger has a way of escalating what you think is fair and unfair. And so the same David who turns down the opportunity to kill Saul is now after Nabal and his entire, all, all the males in his household. And it's from, a, uh, from that pride which has been hurt. You know, David is a great warrior. Who is this David? Why should I give him something? So I think, David, I think Abigail is the hero here. She's right. David is picking a battle that he shouldn't be fighting. He's acting out of anger. He has a bruised ego. Um, and he jumps in with a sword drawn. Perhaps you've done something similar to like this. In fact, I would expect all of us in this room, in this church, to have done something like this. To be hurt at some point in time and then gone rushing in. Um, just looking for regret, uh, look, looking for revenge. But I can tell you that and you probably can tell the same, is that there are moments when you've done those type of things that you look back on now and you have regrets that you've done that. Perhaps you didn't know the whole story at the time when you jumped in. Perhaps, um, you, just, perhaps you only saw one side of the story. Perhaps you just wanted to make things better and you didn't really care about the consequences. You wanted that short-term sense of, ah, oh, I feel better now. But then later on you have the regrets. One of those struggles that we have in Nepal is not jumping into every battle with our sword drawn. Learning to pick our battles. Is this a battle that is my own, which I'm doing because it's making me feel good or I'm trying to make something fair or right? Or is this actually the Lord's battle that he would have me fight? And so one thing that I learned from this passage right away is that when we pick our battles, we need to pick them not out of a sense of pride or arrogance or anger, but we need to pick our battles based on, is this the battle that the Lord would have me fight? We need wisdom and calm to choose those battles. Is this the battle that the Lord would have me fight? But there's something about David here that is remarkable. Besides him, um, it, it, there's something remarkable here. And that's his response to Abigail. Think of a moment when you've been in a rage. How easy is it to listen to wisdom in, those, in that moment? How easy is it for you to turn away from your anger and do what you know is right? It's a very tough thing to do when you're in that moment. And here, it's even harder for David because he has just sworn an oath in the Lord's name that he would kill every male by morning. And now, he's, he knows that he shouldn't be fighting this battle. What, did he, what should he do? If he says, all right, no, I'm not going to do this, then he has the risk of that, that curse that he's called down on himself if he doesn't carry out the killing all the, all the males in the household. He has that shame, or sorry, that, that risk. Then he has the shame of these 400 men who he's like, well, you said you're going to go in and kill, and now you're not doing it. You look like a, a, a wuss, um, a sissy or whatever, um, a weak person. There is lots for David to lose by not keeping on and going with this plan. And yet... He listens to Abigail and he relents from his anger and accepts the gift that Abigail has given him. Many of us cannot be reasoned with in our anger. And here, 
David is a role model for us in that. He listened to the rebuke coming from Abigail and he relents from that anger. We've got to consider those long-term consequences when we're going down that path. I, I, the, the, there's sometimes where I've been in an, in an argument with somebody and I know, you know, at first I thought I was correct and I keep on arguing and as I'm listening to the other person I can actually see that they're correct and I'm in the wrong but I'm just so far down in the argument that I just keep on going knowing that it's going to be to my detriment. I don't know if any of you... I can see some smiles on your faces. I think there's that... Uh, I think many of you uh, can read... Uh, um, that resonates with you. But here, we need to be able to listen to the, to the reason of that other person and go, yes, I was wrong, and to take evasive action in a way that brings glory to God. Consider the long-term consequences, not just the short-term, ah, I feel better that I made things right. The other, the other verse that I, um, I, ma- I mentioned before, Ephesians 4, in your anger do not sin, that's repeated also in Psalm 4, search your hearts and be silent. In that moment when you're angry, search your hearts and be silent. Is this the battle that the Lord would have me fight? Don't charge into battles blinded by your anger or by your pride, but pick your battles carefully. Is this a battle that the Lord would have me fight? In the case of this um, passage of the scriptures here, um, David's vengeance did come, but it wasn't from David's sword. God is the one who struck Nabal down in the end, um, and um, Abigail was vindicated. This was not David's fight. The Lord will judge. The Lord will bring about that justice. And so we need to consider which battles we all fight. In fact, what battles are you fighting right now? It's helpful to ask yourself in the battles that you're, that you're fighting or you're about to fight, am I so blinded by my arrogance that I, um, like Nabal, don't care about what damage I cause to other people with the, with the answers I give? And Nabal couldn't care less what, what damage it did to David so long as he won in the end, I think. I'm ri- Nabal's along the lines of, I'm rich, I'm secure, I can say what I like, I can treat others according to how I feel. Don't be like that fool. Or else um, you could ask yourself the question, have I got all the information? Do I know both sides of the story before I jump into this battle? Or am I only considering what it's like for me? This has been important for us, particularly in a multicultural uh, context. We think we uh, know all the answers. What We think we know what the other person is thinking. But there's a whole different side of the story once you get to know somebody. You need to get to know people before you make those judgments. And standing, uh, as you spend more time apart from each other, you tend to always suppose the worst, guess the worst. So come together, talk about these things, and try to understand their side of the story. We have to do that all the time in Nepal, and it's painful, it takes a long time, but it really helps to know whether or not this is a battle that you're fighting for your own sake, or is this actually you don't have all the information and you're going to regret it later. You go in and say, you said this because of this. Well, actually, it's not that. So come and understand the other person's perspective. You could also ask yourself when you're, having a, when you're thinking about um, picking a battle, am I reacting to this person because I, was, I wasn't expecting it from them? In, in, in David's case, he was expecting Saul to come and kill him, and so I think he had some sort of sense of, okay, I can handle this situation. But when it comes from someone unexpected, like a Nabal, who you've been showing kindness to, and then bang, it hits you, you can respond in, unex- in, in unprepared ways. 
And so one thing we've learned as well, just being in Nepal these last few years, when the trouble comes from unexpected places, it catches us off guard. So when you pick your battles, it helps to ask the question, is this just, am I responding so strongly because I just wasn't expecting it? Well, take some time. Uh, you can also ask yourself, is this, is this battle that I'm um, going to fight, is this just a quick fix or, a long, or is it something that's going to help in the long term? Ask yourself the question, what's my motivations for this battle? Is it to make myself look you know, more intelligent, more smart? Um, or is it, so is it out of pride or is it actually out of a sense of what is, is, this is something that God would have me do? And a good test for that is, if someone was to come and, and inter, interrupt you as you're going out to pick the battle, would you be able to listen to them? Because if you can't listen to them, then I think you're just in the heat of the moment, acting out of um, anger. So, more the biggest in question, though, when you pick your battles, are you picking your own, or are these the Lord's battles that you would have that He would have you fight? Is it sinful you, or is it out of righteousness that you're going for these battles? So, what battles are you fighting? Are they at home? Are they in the workplace? Where are they? Are they motivated out of your self-interest or out of, um, or out of honoring God? Amongst Christians, we tend to have a lot of battles. We know that. We see that. We plays out in churches all over the world. Well, is that? Do you fight these battles because you think you know everything and nobody else knows anything, or what is the what is the motivation for it? What's there to gain from the fights? You need to ask these questions. And are they worth fighting? There are definitely battles worth fighting, and I want to finish with this, um, because I've already, re- I've already mentioned Jesus before in, this, in the sermon. There was a battle worth fighting, and that's the battle to do with us and the sin that we have. If God said to us, oh, you don't fight any battles, <laughs> then we'd be in a bit of a pickle. But we have Jesus' example, who came down to earth to fight the battle against uh, the battle with our sin. Without Jesus, we would be absolutely um, stuck, <laughs> um, going down to destruction. And so Jesus, he came unarmed to fix up the problem between us and God. His job was to make peace between us and God for something that wasn't even his own fault. He picked a battle out of love for us and for those whom he calls to himself. And he did it. He didn't do it out of a sense of pride, but because the Father sent him. If God had taken the path of, you know, dishing out what is right and fair, all of us would be destroyed at birth. All of us would be destroyed at birth. But God, in his patience, sent Jesus to take away that punishment, the punishment that we all deserve, like that of Nabal. And Jesus, he offers his own life for ours to make that peace. He's not exacting revenge. He's a good God, and he loves us. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a peacemaker. And thank you for being the great example that we can follow. Please help us, Lord, to be like Jesus more and more, to choose battles to fight that you would have us fight, not to fight battles that just give us a short-term reprieve from our anger. Help us to be humble like Jesus and to be kind and not to repay kindness with evil. 
Help us to be more like Jesus in the way that we live every day at home, in the workplace, and here in the church amongst other peoples too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.